Greetings friends, this is Will Nicholas and this is the Deep Faith 9 podcast exploring faith and fiction. G'day friends, it's Will Nicholas here again for another Deep Faith 9 podcast and I'm really excited about today's episode uh, which is Blood Oath which appears as episode 19 in series 2 of Deep Space 9. The story goes like this. Quark calls in the help of Odo to remove an old drunk Klingon keeping the holosuite occupied. His name is Kor and he is visited in prison in the brig by Koloth another old Klingon, he leaves, uh, who leaves him again when he finds out that Kor is drunk. When Dax hears about this, she immediately recognises their names. They were friends of Curzon Dax, and when the two are joined by yet another Klingon, Kang, Jadzia knows why they're on the station. In the past, Curzon made a blood oath with the three to kill the albino, a bandit who was defeated by them. He swore revenge and killed their firstborn sons, including Curzondax's godson. For a lifetime, they tried to find him, and Kang has now finally located him. Koloth and Kang, however, are disappointed to discover that Curzon is dead. They don't want Jadzia to come along. While she feels she must fulfil the oath, she tries to convince Koloth and Kang to change their decision. Joining me for this episode of Deep Space Nine, uh, Blood Oath, uh, is um, long-time uh, friend and fan of Star Trek, um, of all series, um, uh, Philip Menzies. Philip, welcome to the podcast again. Hi, Will. I'm very glad to be back. Uh, let me begin today uh, by uh, by giving you a, a Klingon salute. Uh, he- hook, Nick, Chash, Josvak. I don't think I'm convincing anyone with that, but uh, I, I did just say to you that today is a good day to die. Although, as Jad Zia says, um, it's a good day to live as well. That's right. And, and living and dying um, uh, and, and, and killing and revenge, oaths and promises, um, they're all a, a huge uh, part of this particular episode. Um, Philip, did you want to... Um, introduced though that in this particular episode we've got um a whole bunch of continuity in terms of actors um uh, that show up these old klingons are not just anyone are they that right they are not just anyone this this was such a big episode for the star trek community at the time i think at the time that i saw um saw this episode and i said uh, last time that i joined you that i watched uh deep space nine when it first aired on tv i think by this time i had sort of scrambled around and seen a lot of the uh the original series 
And uh, so I was very pleased to discover that the three Klingons um, played by um, John Kolikos. Yep, William Campbell. And uh, the last one was... Yep. Michael and Sarah. So these three, these three actors played Klingons in the original series. And and we I suppose we, we all think that, yeah, everyone knows that in Star Trek the Klingons are the bad guys. Um, but the beginning of the original series, they were just another alien. Um, and there was only one Klingon episode in the first series of the of the original series, um, and then they had a couple of episodes in season two, and then they had three episodes in season three. So, so they've chosen those three actors um, were, were the most prominent Klingon stories, and the Klingons who had the had had the the, the greatest roles in in that in in the three years of the original series so um core core appeared in the first episode errand of mercy um where where um the federation and the klingon empire are sort of pitted against each other on this they they both have to grab um this this one planet in the space between their space between their empires um and this is a strategic planet that will give one pro pro uh, predominance over the other, um, except what they didn't bank on was the fact that the planet was occupied by by a um, um, uh, some non-corporeal entities who actually stopped them from fighting and imposed yeah, a yeah, truce yeah. upon them. Um, the, the second episode with William Campbell as Koloff was The Trouble with Tribbles, one of one of the uh, most favourite um, original series episodes. And we do um, get a revisit to The Trouble with Tribbles um, in Deep Space Nine later on with the episode Trials and Tribulations, which puts our Deep Space Nine uh, favourites right there in the midst of that episode. It does. It does. That that that's. I think. I think my favourite uh, Deep Space Nine episode, actually, uh, mm. Trials and Tribulations. Um, yeah. So, so so it was a it was another story of um, of the of the Federation and Klingon Empire pitting themselves against each other for for to to, to gain an advantage over the other. Um, set on Deep Space Station K seven. Um, it was housing uh, some grain that was going to be used on a nearby planet, uh, and there was going to and they're, they're, they're basically the two empires have been told in the in the treaty that they had that they would that the that the the, the group that was able to develop the planet's resources most efficiently would get control of the planet. Yep. So once again, it's about about control. And then the final one, the day of the dove, with Michael and Sarah playing Kang, the crew of the Enterprise uh, pitted against the Klingon crew uh, who board the Enterprise, and they find that they're manipulated by this non-corporeal entity into fighting each other. And it's actually a very similar situation to the episode in Deep Space Nine where Kyo Parker died and lived. Of course, yeah. Because. Because in this scenario, the Klingons and and uh, and uh, uh, Starfleet officers kill each other, but the entity brings them back to life. Back to life to continue to continue the fighting. Um, so this, and these these were the biggest um, Klingon episodes in the original series, and that and that's why when they moved into the into the Star Trek 
movie franchise, they brought back the Klingons because the Klingons had developed into the most favourite bad guys in the in the Star Trek universe. That's right. And it's really in those movies that we actually start to um, really catch the Klingons as adversaries. And we, you know, we, we anybody, even those who haven't watched any Star Trek might be familiar with the phrase Klingons on the starboard bow. Um, this this idea that the the or the image that the big adversary for the Federation um, is the Klingon Empire um, doesn't quite bear out as you've said because they're not you know um, uh, such a prominent um, alien encounter throughout that that original series but but in the movies um, we actually mm. find the Klingons uh, are there and then later on in Next Generation um, we place a Klingon in the um, character of Worf, played by Michael Dorn, um, um, as as an outsider um, on board the the bridge of the Enterprise. That's right. And with the with with the with the uh, launching of the Next Generation series, that was um, the, it was. I actually have a confession to make. I I watched the pilot episode Encounter at Farpoint um, live when it, when it aired live in nineteen ninety one on Australian television, um, but I didn't get it. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and I watched the next episode, The Naked, Naked Now, which was a direct um, reference to, a, to an original series episode, The Naked Time. And I got to that point and said, I don't understand this. And, and now they're just doing an episode, which is a direct copy of the original series. And I gave it up. Yep. Um, and I didn't come back to it until 1994 um, be, because I was, uh, when my son was born, um, I took the 11 p.m. feed and, well, there was nothing else to do but watch TV at that time and, hey, Star Trek was on and uh, just happened to catch it in season five when it was coming really good. But in those, in, in those early years of The Next Generation, they were trying to establish themselves so they tended to steer clear of apart from that follow-up episode in season one, they steered clear of, of aliens and issues that were from the original series. Um, and instead, But it wasn't until sort of the end of season three and season four and five when the series started to become confident of their own worth that they started to introduce characters such as Sarek, um, Spock's father, Yep. who was who was in the original series um, then in season uh, five they uh, did unification which had Spock himself Leonard, Leonard Nimoy playing Spock and then in season six you had the episode relics which had James Doohan playing playing Scotty yep so it wasn't until the series became confident of its own merits that they started to hark back to original series characters and ideas so by the time you get to this episode, Star Trek has its own confidence. And yes. so to, to get these three actors back who were the biggest Klingons in the original series was, was a coup, was an absolute coup. And for me, this episode kind of marks a bit of a, a I guess, a growth point or a stepping off point for, for Deep Space Nine. Um, I, I have taken your, um, your, your comments in our last uh, podcast together uh, and, and gone back to watch rewatch some of my Babylon 5. Um, and I, I certainly do concede that that uh, Babylon Five from day one deals with the meta story, meta universe stuff with confidence in a way that Deep Space Nine doesn't really start to do until about now in the series. 
where this episode really places um, uh, us um, in the position of viewing a Star Trek universe, um, actually recognizing. And, and there's some things in there that I, I guess I wanted to tease out with this in that um, <clears throat> the reason why these three Klingons, Kor, Koloth, and... Um, and Kang, and Kang um, have come here to the station is because they're here to meet with Curzon. Lots of K's there, isn't it? Um, and and they're dis- disappointed to discover that the Curzon or that they, they were looking for, the Dax they were looking for is not Curzon, but actually Judzia. I see that the Federation insults us by sending a lieutenant to greet us. You never had much use for the Federation, did you, Koloth? I used to call you Dak Turak, Iceman. Because no proposal, no matter how reasonable, no matter how much it favored the Klingon Empire, would satisfy you. You were the toughest man I ever faced across the negotiations table. Do you not recognize our old friend, Dax? Curzon's dead, but Dax is alive as a part of me. Now, Curzon Dax was the Federation ambassador who brokered the Kidama Accords. And the Kidama Accords are the, are the accords that appear in the Star Trek movie um, Undiscovered Country, where Kirk um, um, has to um, work th- through... Um, this peace deal with uh, Chancellor Gorkon, and there's a whole intrigue around that movie. But um, the idea that the names you've just mentioned in the universe, uh, Sarek, uh, Spock, Kirk, um, uh, Curzon, uh, and even in that episode of Unification just mentioned where we have Chance, um, uh, Ambassador Pardek, uh, who is the Romulan who was at the Kitima Accords that this this moment in the universe that gets referred to through Curzon and 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 um, uh, a pivotal moment of peace which has shifted the relationship between the Klingon Empire and the Federation and the way that Star Trek views this this adversary um, we'll never forget Kirk's response. I've never trusted Klingons, and I never will. I can never forgive them for the death of my boy. Seems to me our mission to escort the Chancellor of the Klingon High Council to a peace summit is problematic at best. Spock says this could be an historic occasion. I'd like to believe him. How on earth can history get past people like Kirk's dealing with his his inherent war-fueled racism towards the Klingons at the time of Kirima. But Curzon, this Dax um, predecessor to Jadzia, um, is the one who actually brokered this deal. Um, and so was respected by the Klingons and the Federation. Um, and so that, that actually puts us in a, a, a universe. Um, rather than an episode, what we've got is we almost feel like we've got old friends visiting us in this space. We do, we do. An interesting, and Star Trek is continually doing this. They are redefining their past. Star Trek will often be quite vague about their past, um, and they don't they don't do a lot of backstory until they need some good material for an episode, and then they'll fill in that backstory. And what what we found in this episode here was that 
if you look at the Star Trek universe timelines, the relationship that Curzon had with uh, with with Kang at least predates the original series. Yes, it predates. So 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 if you look at the episode "The Day of the Dove," which has which has Kang in it. Um, He's he's already had this relationship form with Curzon when he meets Kirk. Yep. So and, that's and, that. And he had to. I mean, I guess that's how he's he's built that trust by actually almost going behind enemy lines uh, and forging these strong relationships um, with mm. with the, the captains of the enemy force. Um, um, and 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 not just kind of professional relationships, but he becomes the god father to one of their sons um which is a, a profound honor um to actually be almost included into family i'm sure there's a clean on word for that but i don't know what it is no that's right and you can see from the episode day of the dove that kang kang does give his trust but you have to earn it yep. um and kirk curzon and kirk are two people who earned who earned the trust of kang and Man, this is this is a ruthless guy. They will never warn anyone ever again. This time, we will reach the albino. And when we do, I will cut his heart out and eat it while he watches me with his dying breath. Yeah, absolutely ruthless. And you're left with the sense that, oh, my God. He, he killed, killed them all. <laughs> he killed the people that gave him the information. Yep, yep. Utterly, absolutely ruthless. Yeah, but, yeah, but trusting there is there is honor, there is a code among yep. these uh, among this race. And I think that's the other theme that comes out of this one: this idea of honor. Um, and and Jadzia really finds herself in a really difficult position because because she remembers being Curzon, um, and and the the depth of the promise and the honor involved in the connection with these these warriors. Um, and yet, according to Trill culture and tradition, she's actually not bound to fulfill any promises that Curzon made. But the depth of that, the soul felt depth of what this means, and, and the, I guess the call to avenge the deaths of their sons who were killed by this albino. I don't think he ever gets a name, does he, this albino? They just refer to him as the albino. Yeah. The, the albino. He, he is never named. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. I, w- I was. I was taken. Taken by this and the and the idea of what justice means in different cultures. Yep. Um, and this this is something that Benjamin brings home to to Jadzia about about the Federation having its own its own laws and its own codes. Um, but but she but she basically says. This is the Klingons code. This is the Klingons form of justice, um, and it's it's um, we we always look at other cultures through the eyes through the filter of our own culture, yeah, and what and what we know and what is ingrained within ourselves, um, but we do have to acknowledge that that cultures come about for the for for the survival of of those people in unique circumstances so every culture 
around the world is is unique because because they have survived in unique circumstances yeah and so you project that into into alien races and yes this is how klingon culture has has evolved because they've they this is this is all about survival of their race and survival of their culture and it may seem abhorrent to to um to 20th century and even 21st century humans um and ab abhorrent to 24th century humans as well um but then still needs to be some some acceptance that that the culture is is legitimate and it has meaning to to those people and i think yeah that's that's one of the things we often don't do well um as humans is is we don't listen uh, to other cultures we we have a tendency to project and impose and, and that's not just in terms of the space as you've talked about in terms of you know one territory or location planet or or, or but also in terms of time um, you know when, when we look at our own culture and we say okay if we stepped back 300 years ago um, we could be very judgmental of practices that existed you know 300 years ago in our own um, ancestors cultural heritage without taking mm. into account the things that formed um, that cultural position mm, um, that's I, wrong. I find there's a really strong um, crossover here with the biblical tradition the conversation that Jesus has with the Syrophoenician woman he has this 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 conversation where he says it's not right to give the children's food to the dogs and what he's doing is coming from a from a, a, a male Jewish cultural perspective saying um, outsiders um, are not recipients of the the promises of 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 the God who has chosen a particular people and so we could look harshly on that uh, or we could recognize that not only does Jesus in that instance find himself connected with his culture and actually exhibiting it but then he actually transcends his culture because he listens and he hears a difference and i think there's a lesson in 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 that from star trek from us is that we have to be about listening and transcending culture as well as actually um um hearing and understanding it i think an important window in the klingon culture here um and, and as i said to to us it appear it appears barbaric is that um i was actually quite surprised in this episode to see that the albino the albino is a klingon yes I was expecting the albino to be of of another species completely. The albino is Klingon, and he was raiding Klingon colonies and outposts. Yep. So in Klingon culture, it appears that, uh, and this this is really interesting. This this is picked up in the Star Trek series Discovery. Um, one of the main characters is an albino Klingon, yes, Vox, son of none, who has been disowned from Klingon society purely yeah. for his physical characteristics. Yep. Um, which once again brings brings forth the idea that that Klingon culture is quite harsh um, and uh, and not not accepting of differences. Um, I, I was actually um, hu humorously thinking that the Klingons would have no no um, correlating documents such as the charter of uh klingon rights yes um, <laughs> um because 
everything in their code is so wrapped up in the in in, in their honor um yeah. and, and i suppose that's the thing the thing with humans at, the, at this time in our world we are trying to create um um standards standards among among all of our nations that 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 have that basis in human rights whereas the klingons take that darwinism to the next level you know survival of the fiercest um it's, it's not just about do. the fittest but also the fiercest it's and so this 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 um albino klingon even though the odds have all been stacked against him and as you've said we can extrapolate from other things we can we've seen of klingon culture in the star wars universe that he's been excluded from from um the benefits of citizenship and yet has still managed to make himself a fierce adversary um and so mm. excelled in in terms of um uh, survival yeah and in, and in a way taken his own vengeance against against klingon culture and society for yep. his exclusion yeah yep well look um, let's talk a little bit about vengeance and the obsession with getting um getting uh, revenge or or uh, atonement or or regaining what was taken from us um and um when i was watching this and i i, I mentioned this to you earlier but uh, um I, that that i felt that there was some interesting uh parallels at least from a movie perspective but also in some ways from the book's themes between um the beginning of the the, the tolkien story the hobbit that there's almost an unexpected party of uh, of klingons turning up like the the dwarves at bilbo baggins door um arriving at jadzia dax's place uh and the obsession of kang um and some of his lines and the way he expresses that are, are, are very similar to that of thorin oakenshield um that there's this this idea that we have to get back from us that that which was taken um and and so there's a there's a there's a, a blow to him his completeness um because this unresolved business is still hanging over him and he's he's now an old man i write music for a uh, tolkien podcast and uh yes yes you have hit on a point that that tolkien is my number one obsession um star star war star trek comes comes close second um but but yes there are very very uh, distinct parallels here i think i would probably say that core fits the role of bomber he's more the comic relief in, yeah, in this yep. episode <laughs> but absolutely but despite, but despite that he's portrayed so well um in relation to what was established of his character in the episode errand of mercy he was all about the glory of war he 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 lamented at the end of that episode that that he and kirk did not get to have glorious battle and so this this is reiterated in in this episode um so yeah he he could be bomber but kang most definitely does does fit the same mold as as thorin thorin oakenshield and cause a um, daha master isn't he that that's uh, and, and i love the way star trek does this it like you said keeps things vague leaves things hanging and so as we hear these words daha master we can nod knowingly and go oh yes yes core is a daha master 
and we just have to project and project and say yes i understand that the heart the ha master is something is some kind of rank or honor given to warriors when when they reach a certain level and they are able to instruct other people and this That's is right. this is my this is my construct i don't know this this is Purely my construct. Yeah, he's mastered Daha. That's that sounds like an achievement. I mean, I'm not sure what that means, but you know, That's I'd be disappointed if he was if if it was like being an origami master. You know, he knows how to fold paper. Um, but but certainly, you know, Star Trek does this where they actually leave the blanks on purpose, um, and they allow us to enter the universe by actually filling those blanks in. Mm, mm, they do they do um yes the 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 uh the the comparison with with thorin oak and shield is quite is quite striking um the 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 revenge and we find in this episode that in the same way that thorin was blinded by his his uh wish for revenge against the dragon for destroying his home taking taking um destroying his people um indirectly being responsible for for the death of his grandfather and his father um who both sort of entered delude deluded states um in trying to in trying to regain anything of the dwarves lost of what the dwarves had lost including moria um <laughs> which yeah, which yeah. was which was terribly unsuccessful um um yeah an, an old man walking into the doors of moria leaving his servant outside is not really um it's foolish yes it's foolish and we find that kang falls into this same trap yep. he's he, he um he, yeah but for those people who have actually watched the the hobbit movies um the 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 big battle on the steps of moria that that uh, that balan recounts uh and talks about um how how he got his respect for thorin at that stage in the books it didn't quite happen like that um yep. it was more the is more the case of um thorin's grandfather uh um thrall took he went by himself and with a servant a bit like frodo and sam to moria and was going to retake moria on his own yeah thrall in and the only thing that came out was his head with the word azog carved into his forehead yeah now that's an act of defiling um yeah not, absolutely not, not not how the music not how not how the movie the movie portrayed it cutting off someone's head in battle that's that's fair game. I've always, I've always felt too like there's a there's there's a with Star Trek and and Tolkien two of my favourite things as well and and especially in terms of role play that that the Klingons and the dwarves have had some fairly similar kind of character traits. Likewise, the uh, the elves and the Vulcans and the Klingons and the Vulcans are these kind of very first two and we, so we talked about the universe. Um, it's actually the the Vulcans arrive at first contact. We know that, and we see that from Enterprise uh, and from the first movie, First Contact. But but the very next race to kind of show up uh, on the Earth is a Klingon. Um, they actually uh, Enterprise begins with this uh, chasing a Klingon through a human cor an Earth cornfield, um, and so. You know the, the the Klingons appear fairly prominently in Enterprise as mm -hmm. well as 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 a very frightening um um group even the vulcans appear to have a, a healthy awe of the klingons 
Exactly right. And then and with with the development of what is called the Vulcan Hello. Uh, yeah. which, which 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 I won't spoil anything for, but if people want to want to watch uh, Star Trek Discovery, uh, one of the first two episodes is called The Vulcan Hello. Um, and it become and it becomes their their way of responding to 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 the way the Klingons present. Yeah. Um, so, so, but, 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 yes. Getting back to, I found that Kang was extremely became extremely blinded in the in this episode, um, even to the point where he accepted that this mission was going to be a suicide mission. They were not coming back from it. Well, he, he did more than that because um, he kind of set actually, it up, didn't he, as a suicide mission? He, he came to an agreement. Um, and they manufactured, uh, I guess, an artificial kind of honour that that Jadzia really calls him on to say, you know, that, that you might. She says to him, you know, this is a good day to live, uh, not a good day to die. And that that, that the, he he gives up his honour by actually surrendering to this um, this fake version of of a glorious death in battle. Yes, exactly, and it would it, it may have may have been sung in songs, um, if there had been any any survivors um, to to take that song back, um, but that would have been all. The, yep. the, the 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 victory would have itself would, would in the end have been hollow. Yep, because there was no truth in it. No, exactly, exactly, um, and 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 Jadzia spends the whole time exposing those untruths. She calls Koloth on it. She Koloth, I found in this in this episode, was um, was a true diplomat, a true true with his role in Trouble with Tribbles, uh, twisting words, twisting truths um, to try and gain an advantage over the other person. And when and when he actually accuses Dax of uh, of bonding uh, of Curzon when he says when Curzon bonded himself with with those with those three Klingons, it was purely to purely for a diplomatic advantage. Yeah. Yep. Um, so there, there, there's a kernel, there may be a kernel of truth in there, and that, that would have been one of the flow-on effects. Um, but Dax calls him on that, and Dax calls all of them on on those on 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 those aspects all throughout this episode. Yeah. Um, T- Terry Farrell described it as she has to she has to prove prove to Core that that he's a hero. She has to prove to Cole off that physically she's able to she she she's able to go with them, and she has to prove to Kang that she has the honor. Yep. Um, and she certainly does do that and proves herself to be, uh, I guess, a, a, a more honourable Klingon than than any of them um, during the, the the process of this episode. Mm-hmm. That's right. Exactly. One, one of the parallels I've 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 been thinking about too since watching it is is in relation to um, generations uh, and the church. Um, and um, I mean, I've grown up um, in the church um, with these these stories of the glory days um, of of the church at the centre of of our community, um, and and hear these stories and feel there's a sense of a bondedness to restore these days to actually um to try and work with the template we've been handed to make um the church uh, a great and and wondrous thing again and yet sometimes i feel like judzia in that that i've actually um to fulfill that oath in the way that that the generation before wants to 
um, is actually a, a, a no-win situation. Um, and instead, um, um, Jadzia comes up with her very own um, 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 uh, way to overcome the no-win situation um, and, um, and, and finds a way to live rather than a way to actually uh, die with honour. Mm. Yes, yes. Um, and yes, there is that perpetual problem of, of uh, churches lo losing their youth and finding that the, the established traditions uh, cease, cease to be meaningful for, for a younger generation. Yep. Um, and, 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 and yeah, Jad, Jadzia does, does cut through all of that in this, in this particular episode. Um, and if not for her, it would have been a suicide mission. They would have all died um, instead of only some of them dying. And I don't think she realises that that's the case until they're halfway there. She gets, I think she finds herself embedded in this situation uh, and then realises that part of the reason why they didn't want her to come was because they weren't expecting to come back. Um, that um, they were they were intending to actually make this the last hurrah, um, a, a going out with a blaze of glory. Um. This is our last chance. If we cannot reach the albino, we could at least die an honourable death trying to reach him. A death for Klingon the Har Master deserves. You know what, King? I think you Klingons embrace death too easily. You treat death like a lover. I think living is a lot more attractive. I think an honorable victory is better than an honorable defeat. Mm, mm. I, 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 I saw from the episode, my, my interpretation of that was that Kang, Kang, that, yeah, that, that was Kang's point of yep. view. I, I got the feeling that he had not shared that with core or cola yeah because yeah. it didn't really matter to them um that they were they were in it for the glory um uh but i yeah i just felt that kang was holding that back and it wasn't until they're actually on the planet core core actually chimes in that's what you get when you make a deal with the devil with the devil that's um, right so so i so i got the impression that 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 jadzia had had um had revealed that information to core and cola yeah. but for for, for for their level of buy-in to the whole situation it didn't really it didn't really matter, didn't to matter. Them. But what, no. what mattered then was was that the albino had put a minefield underneath the main entrance where yeah, yeah. he was inviting them in so, so, so they had to turn the tables. They had to change the rules of the game, um, in 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 order in order to beat him and to make this a, a an honourable victory. And it's important to remember in Klingon culture that um, growing to be old and wise. Um, you know, at one stage in this episode, um, I think it's Kang asks Judzia how Curzon died, and she says mm. that he, he died. Uh, in his bed fighting with his doctors and and um and 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 Kang has has pity for Curzon because that's not a good way to die um and, and for them to to live uh so so the klingons really do say only the good die young um you know there's a sense in which to mm. to for them to have lived as long as they have and we get more of this from core in later episodes of deep space 9 um where he mm. he feels mm. like he's outlived his 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 usefulness. He's he's no 
his capacity to be a warrior and his chances of dying with a blade in his hand are actually behind him. And, and so there's a sense in which, whether it's a setup or not, they kind of are rushing towards their death with their blades in their hands. Yes, yes, they are. And the, and the, and, and the sad thing to think is that um, at this time in 2000 and in 2020, um, those three actors um, have all passed away. Yes, yep. And another, another sad reality um, of, of life. Yes, yeah, I'm particularly interested in Jadzia and, yep. her, and her dilemma. Yep. Um, this this becomes a real dilemma for her. Uh, she 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 insists that uh, Benjamin doesn't order her not to go. Yep. Um, and of course, this and th- this then puts their relationship at odds. It does. Um, uh, yep. Yeah, yeah. It 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 really does. And she, and she has she has to work out the her own morality of of killing a person. Yep. Um, uh, and that. And she spends the entire episode trying to come to terms with that. And even right at the ver- at, at the final bit where she has the albino by the throat of her uh, with with her batleth, um, she she falters. Mm. She really falters, and she finds that she can't go through with with the blood oath. Even though he taunts um, her, even though he 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 wants it, he invites it. He he wants her to do it. Use it. If that's what you came to do, kill me in cold blood. Run me through the belly and cut out my heart. Isn't that what your blood oath promised? Or have you lost your appetite, my dear? <laughs> he does. He does exactly. He picked up very, very, very... Look, it just showed how, how insightful the albino was um, in, that, in that he picked up that from her immediately in that there was some trepidation and she wasn't in it wholeheartedly um but in the end she like it was fulfilled and everyone kept their honor um kang covered for her by by actually stating um he appreciated her her leaving the death blow to him yep so that he so that he could get the honor but he also saved her face yes yeah, yeah. No, that's right. So, um, look, I think there's a couple of things we want to talk through with that, especially we just covered Cisco and and Dax in that conversation about her her oath to Starfleet um, and her position there under his command. But then we've also got this other dialogue with Kira um, where where Dax turns, or Jadzia turns to, to Kira as the person she knows who has taken life. Um, and tries to get some wisdom from 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 Kira in relation to that. Mm, mm, that's right. A really really touching moment as you see Kira with regrets. Um, she would. I, I don't think she would ever. She would ever repent of those actions. But she quite definitely has regrets that she was forced to carry, felt forced to carry out those actions in the name of a greater good. Yep. Um, and and she, and Kira is going to spend the rest of her life coming to terms with her actions uh, through throughout the Cardassian occupation of Bajor, and she is damaged um, by that. I mean, she she we see that often uh, her damage, and then every now and then she relaxes and lets down her guard enough, and we see her laugh or 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 her play, and and it's very rare. 
but but I it's interesting to wonder what Kira Norris would have turned out like if she didn't grow up in the in the in the refugee camps fighting against the Cardassians for the occupation. Mm, mm. A very very different person. I think think we can say that for 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 everyone. Our um our, our upbringing and the hardships we go through and how how tough we need to be to 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 cope with our environment is uh is is uh has a great impact upon the formation of our character. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I once again, I want to harp on about music. Yes, last let's time, go to music. Last time in Shadow Play, um, I played a little, played a little piece. Um, I'm finding in these episodes that the really poignant musical um, bits in the in 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 the score for the episode doesn't really happen until until. Till the very end of the episode, um, the episode. The episode once again, the music in Star Trek is very transitional. Transitional. It'll help you go from one scene to a change of scene. Um, it'll become mysterious when 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 the scene becomes mysterious or lighthearted when when there is a joke, um, and that's that's really what the what the music is it becomes very very action oriented during during the fight scenes. Um, and, uh, and and in the in, in the notes on um, on Memory Alpha, it says that uh, during the filming of some of these scenes, they played some Wagner to to help the actors yeah. and the stunt stunt people get get into the feeling um, of, of 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 their roles at that time. So yeah, the music in that is very Wagnerian. But right at the end, I was taken by um, when all the actions over the dead bodies are there. Including, including the, the the albino and some of our principal characters, um, core core begins this this chant, what I would call a, a dirge, in honour of, of 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 his fallen comrades. Um, uh, but the thing is, th this dirge actually hap it actually is played in the soundtrack once or twice earlier in the episode, mm -hmm. and to me. It, that connects it with, with, with the oath, with, with the blood oath. But by the time we get to the end, this is really an indication that their oath has turned just into death. And even, even, though, even though they have got honour, they've, they've paid a huge price. Yeah. The music, the music re really points that out. Um, and, um, and, and, and in the final scene, as Dax comes, comes back onto, uh, onto Ops, um, afterwards, there, there's no dialogue in the in this final scene, um, and you hear you, you hear these violins playing playing really really high. And I'm just going to play play the notes and sort of sort of walk you through it. Yeah, great, great. Yeah, because that is a poignant final scene. That one. So it is. It is. When 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 uh, when Dax and Benjamin look at each other, you've got the violins playing these notes. Now, that that that's. The, the, the notes that are actually playing, and I'll take you through a, a, just a little bit of music theory, is the first note and the fifth note of, of, of a scale. Now, it's left out the third note because the third note's the decider. Now, if I put in the third note, that's, that, that, that's a major chord. It's quite a happy chord. But if I change the third note to this, that's a minor chord, which we usually associate with sadness. But by playing just the first and the fifth... It's undecided. You yeah. don't 
So you don't, and this is when Dax and, and, and Benjamin are looking at each other and there's reproachment, and I see reproachment in Ben's eyes, particularly when the note moves to this. Yep. Now that, that is, is a seventh. We went from to a seventh note. That is really clashing, really, really clashing. And then it moves into a, um, a fifth and a first note. Another fifth and a first note, a first and a fifth note. So every time we're playing there, we've left out the third note, which is deciding exactly what the mood is. So the music's actually telling us that, that the jury's out on on uh, Jadzia and Benjamin's relationship at this at this point in time. Yeah, yeah. Um, really, really, uh, really, really um, telling. If you, if you add the music in. It's telling a different story than, than than just the visuals, but also wanted to um, point out um, cause cause funeral dirge really has this form. He sings uh, he sings um, sings three notes in a row. Um, So we so we get uh, the the actor who playing Cor singing that totally unaccompanied um, in the at the battlefield, but then when Jadzia and Kira look at each other, the orchestra picks up picks up the the the, the funeral dirge as well, and um, and the final I'll just I'll just play that it's and then it's going seventh note. And then it's going up to the third note above. And from there, it sort of goes up. We're getting towards a resolution. But that's our final note, which is actually the fifth chord. It should be, sorry, it's, it's this chord here, but it's just hanging there because it really wants to resolve itself into that. But it's not allowed to. That's yeah. the final final note. It's completely unresolved. And I, I look at that and the glances that Jadzia and um, Kira were giving at each other. That this music that's being played is the funeral dirge is that both of them are damaged both of them have now lost something um because they've been a party to these particular acts yeah yep and and look um they they do share this grief that isn't spoken you know this this um um the the the, the essence of the the um, Les Mis empty chairs and empty tables. Um, the the idea that that you know that that what they have lost they they'll never get back, 
but what they gain is a solidarity of of understanding that with each other. Um, <clears throat> and I, I referred intentionally to the to the uh, the Les Mis um, themes because in the next few weeks and throughout season three. We actually find ourselves um, having a, a bit of a parody of this Les Mis kind of setup. Um, uh, we're coming up very shortly with the two-part episode, The Marquis, um, coming into the, the next couple of weeks. Um, and, and this idea that, um, that, that uh, Ben Sisko, even though he's not understanding where, um, where Jadzia is at the moment, or where Kira is for that matter, actually comes to his own crunch of having to make these kind of unresolved and unhelpful decisions um, coming up very shortly. Mm. The in the interesting thing would be to would be to see if the series picks up on the on on the uh, relationship between Dax and Benjamin and actually and actually writes that into the, into the series um, and also whether we see that Dax is damaged from from this point onwards um, but I have a, I have a suspicion that that probably won't happen because Star Trek has the uh, has the habit of uh, pushing the reset button at the yep. end of every episode. We're all good now. Everything's fine. Everybody's happy again. Um, yeah. And it means that means that you can watch the episodes in in any order because there there's no long lasting change in any of the characters. So so when the, when it's into reruns, it's uh, yeah, I, 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 it doesn't matter that I watch this this out of it out of sequence. Um, because nothing that happens impacts on anything to the future, and we see that change in yeah. Space Nine as it as it goes on. And I but think these, that, these that really, is yeah, go on. Yeah, these sort of subtle differences in character um, is not something that Star Trek is is good at. Babylon Five is better at those absolutely types of ca character changes. Yeah, uh, because because each character in Babylon Five has their own story arc, which involves not just them being in different different places and different roles, but real character development. And we, and and thankfully we see that bit starting within Deep Space Nine. And because of that, Star Trek often has to play catch-up. It actually has to revise history or create uh, a new narrative that actually incorporates a flawed history. Uh, and we'll finish with this, I think. Um, it's interesting to note, and we've ignored it all this episode, that uh, Kang, Koloth and Kor did not look like the Klingons they are in Deep Space Nine in their original series episodes because... Um, um, they, I don't know, uh, there'd be lots of technical reasons, makeup, budget, that kind of stuff. But um, Star Trek finds itself now having to play catch-up, uh, which it does do, um, and comes up with an entire narrative that reframes this entire situation. Yes, yes, and and, and they, they had a few different goes at it. Um, in, in the notes on this on this episode... Uh, what was explained to the actors who who played the roles, who played the roles back in the 1960s and reprised the roles for this episode, it, the producers explained to them, oh, well, Klingons, as they age, they evolve. Yep. So it's so, so so that was their explanation on the day when they had to don the makeup. Why am I wearing Why, this makeup yeah. when I didn't have to wear it back in the 1960s? This isn't Kang. <laughs> 
Yeah. That's right, because Klingons change as they age was the explanation that was given at that time. But um, but but yes, I do I do prefer. We, we will eventually get to trials and tribulations, but I do prefer Worf's explanation um, there, yep. uh, which is very short and to the point, and and we, actually occurs um, in terms of release date. Um, um, well, I think chronologically after uh or maybe not i'm just trying to think about when it, when enterprise actually dealt with this um they dealt with it afterwards yeah there was a one year gap in between the end of voyager yep. the production of and the beginning of enterprise yeah so much so, later on in enterprise they come up with yeah. this whole idea that there is a genetic virus that actually altered the the appearance of some klingons um, and and um, and that they were actually able to then restore them, um, so that that actually is a is a whole other way of reframing the conversation. But yeah, Worf says my people don't discuss it, so he kind of foreshadows that there's some kind of shameful secret in the Klingon Empire about why people look <laughs> yes. different. Yes, but I but I think that was a perfect response. But today, um, um, I have to say, uh, it has not been a good day to die. It's been great to actually spend the last uh, hour living with you, even though we are far apart. Uh, and uh, I will, uh, I will say to you, uh, my good friend Kopla. Kopla. Um, you've been listening to the Deep Faith Nine podcast, and uh, I've been Will Nicholas, and I've been joined by uh, Philip Menzies. And uh, we have explored the episode Blood Oath. If you would like to leave us a comment uh, or if you disagree wildly with some of the things we've said, then please, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, leave us a comment on oddrev.com uh, where these um, uh, um, podcasts are listed with show notes uh, or, um, or send us a, a message through the Never Odd or even Facebook page. Um, that's uh, all we've got time for today. Uh, this has been the Deep Faith Nine podcast.